Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and we have something a little bit different for this week's episode. See, at the end of April, Fellowship Pacific hosted five virtual events with panels discussing the topic of the post-COVID church. In each of these events, we asked our panelists four questions, and they had some really great thoughts, so we decided to compile the highlights from their responses into this episode. You'll be hearing from a fantastic list of voices, all of them Fellowship Pacific pastors, about what they're seeing and thinking about with regard to what church will look like and needs to look like in the post-COVID world. So let's get right into it. For our first question, before looking ahead to the future, we wanted to get a sense of where things are at now. So we asked our panelists to share about what the impact has been on their churches as a result of COVID-19. To start us off, here's what Steve Sunby from Sandwich Baptist Church and Paul Park from South Delta Baptist Church had to say. I think there's two ways to look at it. There's a negative and a positive way, as I think back to the last year. Um, I think the negative can really be summed up in one word, um, loss. I, I think there's really been for us a sense of loss around a number of things, a loss of connectedness. Um, the disconnection has been very hard on some people. Uh, the loss of effective, the ability to effectively care for other people, especially around grief. We've had a number of uh, significant losses in our church uh, deaths over the last year. It's been very hard to walk with people through uh, the grieving period and a real sense of loss around that. Obviously, we've all experienced the loss of corporate worship and for us, our loss of ministry to our First Nations people on the peninsula and, and some of the loss around some of the things we've not been able to do because of our Mexico ministry. So in the negative front loss, but on the positive front, it's really allowed us to step back and reflect on what's working and what's not working. And in that we've been learning once again, that being the church is so much more important than going to a church building. And we've been once again, just really through this COVID period, it's really just really hit home that church is way more than a Sunday gathering. And often in ministry, we can just really get into that Sunday machine. So we've been reminded that, you know, it's much more than going to church. It's being the church. And uh, we've been scattered like everyone else, which has allowed us to really adopt our blocks and start some home churches, which have been very successful. And it's also forced us to create, uh, like many of you, an online presence very quickly. So those are some of the negative and positive summed up. I definitely agree with um, everything that Steve just said too, um, especially about the people who are grieving through COVID has been really hard. I'm actually doing a funeral, a graveside um, this Saturday. This will be, I think my 10th funeral during COVID. And uh, sadly, it's really hard for families to grieve without connecting and people physically present together. So that's been challenging. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There's been positives and negatives. Um, the biggest negative that I've been noticing in our church and probably beyond is the polarization that we see. Um, people had different opinions about wearing a mask or not or <laughs> vaccinations and and uh, whether churches should remain open in the context or not. Um, there's just been lots of different opinions. And sadly, because a lot of us are highly stressed, I have noticed that um, sometimes we communicate those differences in opinions or preferences in a negative way, perhaps not reflective of the gospel. Um, so recognizing that we're all stressed and maybe our stress mode is coming out as a whole family in our church, um, it's really brought up many things that we could work on. 
um, and, and transitioning to more of a positive outlook on things, I think it's increased our openness to talk about our hardships and being a little bit more vulnerable. I don't know about where you guys are at and your churches, but our church was kind of known to really put on a good mask when you come on Sundays. And um, vulnerability was something that we always wanted to work on, to be more honest with each other and to be open to allowing people in closely enough so that they could even see our sins. Um, and that's a scary thing for a Christian to do. But I think COVID is starting to teach us to be okay with not having our lives put together and not having a great plan and making lots of mistakes. So I think that's actually a positive. Um, and I think intentionality has grown. Um, people are really intentional about being a part of church. They no longer sign online because they think it's you know the right thing to do. But no, they choose to worship. They choose to be a part of a church family. There's intentionality to our mission. So I think those are real good positives that came out of COVID, even though it's hard. Now let's hear from Sean Barton from Mountainside Community Church and Gary Firth from The Meeting Place in Nanaimo. Uh, of course, like lots of you guys, you know, um, just feel like our our community muscles have atrophied. The rhythm of community is is like there's kind of an arrhythmia that we're not quite sure how that's going to um, how that's going to respond. We we see that those who had, you know, deep set discipleship community pre-established that were kind of low maintenance, not heavy program based. Those folks have done quite well spiritually and those who haven't have just, you know, disappeared off the map. We were fortunate. Uh, Steve actually kicked this off uh, just after COVID started back in May last year. Uh, we started meeting as island pastors, kind of getting together just to check in with each other because everything was so new. We wanted to see who was doing what. And one of the one of the churches, the pastor mentioned um, the invisible church. You know, not being able to connect with those people that you saw on a Sunday morning, but you didn't have their contact information. You just knew them by face. You might have known their name, but. Uh, but now with not being able to see what are they showing up? Are they not there? Have they fallen through the cracks? That kind of thing. So what this has really shown me is never take for granted what you have. And uh, in regards to this, it would be community. Uh, I think, you know, man, I, pre-COVID, if you went to a restaurant, you, it wasn't uncommon to see eight, 10 people sitting around a table and not one person looking at one another. They're all on their phones. And I think that you might see a shift in that when we go back, we're actually going to want to see and talk with each other face to face. Uh, so for me, the biggest thing I've noticed is that loss of community that we had that we kind of almost took for granted. Just, you know, hey, we got this thing going on. It's like, yeah, I think I'll go do something else. And now people are just screaming for that. So That'd be one observation I've made for sure. Mark Bueller is from Faith Fellowship Baptist Church, and he shared about the unique challenges that have faced them as a multicultural community. Well, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm just part of the thing, but I, I pride ourselves in the fact that Faith Fellowship is a very welcoming place. There's lots of hugging. There's lots of eating together. There's multiple conversations occurring after church, before church, sometimes during church. Um, and all that's had to be just shrunk down <clears throat> to looking at a screen like this and only allowing one person to talk at a time. And <clears throat> the worship is a big thing as well. And one thing we've noticed in a multicultural church is some people who would come 
but they struggled with English. They came because of the sense of community. And so some have said, if we're not going to have this welcoming community, it's easier for us just to go online and find a service in our own language and listen to that. Um, because the other, the Zoom is just too hard for them to understand. And finally, let's hear from Jeremy Johnson from Village Church and Wes Parker from Dunbar Heights Baptist Church about the impacts they have seen from COVID on their churches. In some senses, it's changed literally everything we do, but in other senses, we've just tried to not let it change what we're about and uh, and sort of just force that. And, and you know, by God's grace, our our people have kind of gone on with it, I think, um, or at least seen the vision of that. And, uh, and so they're still participating and supporting. I mean, and we were, you know, more people participating in our, in our church stuff now than ever in the history of our church by huge amounts. Um, so it's just, I think for us been a lot of, okay, let's throw out everything we, 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 we thought strategically and go back to zero um, and just address it for this moment. Assuming this could be a year, two years, we kind of made that determination really early. And that's just, let's just make all of our strategy based on what if the whole next year was COVID and we never met. And then let's build, build all our strategy and everything we're doing around that idea. Um, and I think that, that probably helped, but. Um, I think, you know, what we've seen, uh, and like I hear from everybody, I think we've seen a lot of fatigue uh, from ministry staff, um, myself included. I think everyone's just like spent when, when you're trying to think creatively, um, whatever this is, how many months into this, it's like everyone just comes up dry. So I think uh, there's a mental, physical, uh, emotional, even kind of exhaustion that, that people are ex experiencing from a ministry perspective. Um, but I would say one of the primary um, impacts that COVID has had on our church is it's kind of tested our, it's tested our ecclesiology around what the church is. We, um, I say, you know, almost every Sunday here, the church is not this space, it's the people. And this is kind of tested whether or not we believe that. Um, because not being able to gather physically in a space, um, but, but having an understanding of, you know, after a gathering on a Sunday, we would, we would head out and I would say that the church is now spreading to every place in Vancouver where you live now. Um, we're testing to see if people believe that because we're seeing this really cool engagement um, now in this small pocket um, where, where people are, where their homes are, where their apartments are, where their dorm room is. We're seeing this really cool engagement um, where the church is, is being the church um, in all these different places and our, our reach and our spread as a church is, is actually increased um, many times over because people are taking hold of that vision and saying, okay, yeah, church isn't closed um, because I watch a service on Sunday. Like we really are continuing to be God's people. We're continuing to be that salt and light wherever it is God's uh, scattered us. And so that's been our theme from the beginning, actually taking that um, picture out of uh, Acts when the church is scattered after Stephen stoning. We've used that language of scattered together. Um, and we're still a one body, but we're scattered around the city. And um, that's been a, a cool impact that we've seen because of that. Well, it's clear that COVID has had a big impact on our churches. 
both positive and negative. So what are the things that we have lost during this pandemic that we need to prioritize getting back to once COVID has passed? And what needs to stay lost? What needs to change? Let's go back to Steve to hear what he had to say in response to this question. Yeah, I think we want to recover some of that sense of loss that I talked about a few minutes ago. We want to recover that sense of connectedness and the ability to worship together again. And the ability, I think, really to care well with people and walk with them through such things as grief. Um, When it comes to the change, we really, as a church, looked at COVID as not an interruption, but a disruption. Uh, You know, if you think of an interruption as something that causes you to put something on pause and then you go back to it when the interruption's over, so you go back to whatever was. Um, But if you think of a disruption as something that causes you to change your plans. And we've really seen COVID as a church as a disruption that is giving us really an unprecedented opportunity to reflect and reimagine and maybe move some things in a new direction. And um, as we've reflected on that, we really come to the conclusion that we as a church um, need to move away from our Sunday-centric program-driven framework. Um, Like many of you currently, Sandage is a decentralized, scattered church, and we're not seeking to recover from that. We're seeking to build on that. Sure, yeah. Do you know what? I think we're the same way. think something that we want to recover is yeah the value of communal worship um helping people overcome the maybe in one sense is what is the comfort right now of people that become accustomed to stay at home worship in my pajamas um and helping to uh, recover that that value of in-person um gathered worship um I think is a value that absolutely is is essential to the church and and it's one of the reasons that that we've had to to soldier through this and suffer through this because it is so important so um that's that's absolutely um a place that we want to recover and get people back to i think um from something that we want to shed or maybe need to shift um, in a kind of post-covid era i think in one way is kind of um if I can call it the traditionalist mindset, um, particularly for those of us who, who have spaces and have um, gathered that way um, to abandon the idea that we need to get back to doing things exactly as we did before. Um, it's got to look exactly like that before to, um, to not feel constrained by that, to use this time. And we've really tried to use this time to think outside the box of like, okay, well, what, what what were we doing over this time of our gathered worship, which um, which wasn't serving the mission, which wasn't growing our people, all, all that kind of stuff to really take this time to rethink that. And um, the idea of like valuing and caring about um, those people who do choose to engage with us digitally, um, to, to know that behind that screen, there is actually a, a real living person that needs to be discipled. Um, and, and I think in the past, we've sort of thought of um, video and, and social media as kind of an afterthought. Like, you know, if someone happens to watch the video later, great. Um, but I've been reading this fascinating book, totally would recommend it. It's by Nona Jones called From Social Media to Social Ministry. Um, and it really kind of just changed my mindset of like, how can we leverage the, um, 
the tools of social media, of, of uh, video and online engagement in order to um, not, not just get more people to come to our service on Sunday, but to minister to them throughout the week, creating those online communities that different uh, needs can engage with. And uh, it's, it's pretty exciting, the kind of stuff that um, she presents there. So we're looking at changing some of the value that way and valuing that online ministry as well as the in-person. Not, not one to the more or the other, but valuing both. As Wes just pointed out, the online tools we have available now have provided us with many opportunities. In another one of the panel events, Mark Bueller, as well as Kamal Gamal, who is at Richmond Baptist, spoke about the international opportunities they have seen open up. <clears throat> one other thing that I hope that, well, I think we'll need to take advantage of is there have been positive things from Zoom. One of the highlights has been this international book club where we have chosen, um, like right now we're doing the five languages of love. And we have people from Mexico, from Korea, Singapore, Japan, um, Dominican Republic. And so the missional part that Kamal mentions, we, we need to take advantage of that and to engage people from all over the world um, rather than just relying on traditional in-church programs and our traditional methods of delivery. Uh, yeah, one thing is uh, Mark, Mark mentioned about uh, like uh, international or global uh, church, online church. I can see that more happening uh, right now, like Richmond Baptist Church is, um, you know, broadcasting um, our kind of services and uh, well I am I am international man uh, I lived in so many countries uh, I, I was in Australia in Hong Kong in Nepal in India and all then I I'm also a very uh, like a social media I used to be social media shy person uh, when they before COVID never shared the kind of link but after COVID, when he started doing this online service, I thought maybe I should share to my friends in India, in Australia, in Tanzania, in Africa, and in Nepal. And I started doing that. And all of a sudden, like within two months, like that kind of online community, I uh, started to form. I started to click with them. And there is a online community right there, like a global community. And God is kind of talking in my heart, like, uh, how do you regularly serve these people? These are real people, but online, but how do you serve these people? You know, that kind of global opportunity is there. Uh, like each um, our churches in BC and Yukon or all over Canada, if they take it very seriously, um, then Jesus great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, uh, we started this community for 11 groups meeting. Then um, I had, uh, uh, yeah, then we started this community group and uh, there was one guy from Fort Coquitlam. I had never seen in my life. He joined the Zoom meeting, community for 11 group meeting. I didn't know this guy. Uh, one of the member of the community group invited me in that meeting. Hey, come and meet my friend. He's non-Christians. He would be happy to meet pastors. I went there and I met him and we talk. I share the gospel. He accepted Christ Jesus over the Zoom. 
Then after we started meeting every week until now, every Friday afternoon, I meet him, I disciple him. Here's what Jeremy and Paul had to say on this question. Um, to me, I think reclaiming, I think what jumps to my head is how we leverage human to human moments um, and not take that for granted. Uh, there's, there's certainly power in human beings being together, whether that's relationally or through say worship. Um, I mean, that's a big one in my head, uh, you know, corporate worship and these kinds of, and I think one of the things, you know, coming out of that for me, I'm thinking about is how do we really, really leverage those in-person things we do um, to really make them effective and great because, um, you know, I think people's habits are going to change. And so if you're going to do something in person, whatever that is, it's going to have to be compelling enough for, uh, for a person to want to participate in that live. Um, and, uh, and so I think there's going to be, you know, that, and that maybe ties into something. I think that this is part of what this, this for me has taught me is, you know, technology is not perfect. Um, certainly comes with a lot of negatives and a lot of dangers and things that would make us uncomfortable um, as pastors or church leaders, ecclesiologically or other things. But how do we wrestle with, you know, how do we wrestle well with the reality of the culture we're going to face coming out of this and where people are going to be at? And what I mean is that, you know, in the digital sphere, for example, and that might not be every church's mandate, right? But but for many of us, it's like, yeah, if, if culturally people are in these spaces, you know, virtually or whatever, how are we going to be smart about engaging them somehow, even if it's completely imperfect, but maybe it's a piece of their journey um, that, that we need to go almost like a mission field um, and be there somehow in a way that's effective. I think you know, I think those are some things, thoughts I have coming out of it. So I, I think a lot of people have been talking about how, like, we need to learn to be more organic and less dependent on, you know, the building or the programs. And I agree with that a lot. Like, our church has learned to be more organic, right, in relationships and things like that. But I do think we need to recover some of the programs. Um, I think programs sometimes take a hit and say, hey, we, the programs, they're not really the focus. But really, what we've noticed was... Uh, um, yes, there are a lot of people who have built great relationships within the church and discipleship continued, even during COVID, when there's no building to meet, when there's no programs to encourage discipleship, people had that. They had brothers or sisters that are in their lives that spurred each other on in the word of God and prayer and all of that. That's fantastic. But if you're new to a church community, there's tons of people who moved into Tawasin or Ladner during COVID and they're trying to plug it into a church community. How would they do that now? Or you know, people who are relatively young Christians, or maybe people who don't have that many people around them. We have a guy who's an amazing Christian man, but he's lost his wife a couple of years ago. And he's in his senior years. So he's retired. So he's just at home. But he's always been very introverted. So without his wife, because she was the social connection to the world, um, it's become hard for him to even have, you know, church friends that he's known for 50 years to connect with him. So I think sometimes programs do help build structure so that not everyone is falling through the cracks and 
it's not up to kind of, oh, if you happen to know people and if you happen to be in a group that spurs each other on in the word of God, then you'll get this discipleship. But if you're not, um, you're kind of out of luck. So we, we, I think some of those programs do need to come back. But really, ultimately, I think what we need to move forward to is that organic relationship thing. Even with the help of the programs, the whole point of having structure is to help have a healthy community, right? So we've learned that um, some churches are calling it DNA groups, triads, delta groups. Um, I don't know what our church will eventually call it, but it's the idea of having at least two other people in your life, two other brothers or two other sisters in your life um, that will hold each other accountable, that would um, spur each other on in the word of God and be in active prayer in a um, consistent basis. I think that kind of a healthy community is required for discipleship to happen. If anything like this were to happen again, where our programs are disrupted and let's say the church as an institution disappears, uh, whether it's through persecution or whatever it is, um, would the missions survive and not only survive, but thrive? And I think the only way you would be able to do that is if you have built intentional communities all over the city where Christ is Lord in those communities, um, not just in a building at a certain time. And going back to what Steve Sumby was saying earlier, um, being church in the city, we've all talked about this missional emphasis, but this is, I think, really lit a fire under us and said, no, we need to work on this now. Because we thought those threats like of persecution happened in the Middle East or other parts of the world, but a pandemic could do this to us. Um, we're a lot more vulnerable than we think. And I think we need to work on it now rather than putting it on the back burner. Next, we have Dave McPhee from North Star Church and Don Reeve from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Vernon. I was just thinking, well, at the center of it uh, is, in my thinking, is, you know, Christ-centered weekly discipleship uh, and conversations. Like that's a huge way in which we grow. So it's our, you know, our mentoring ministry, our freedom session ministry, our life groups uh, ministry, but it's, it's gotta be that Christ centeredness and does it produce life change? I, I think some of what's been revealed for me in, in this time is that like this, there's kind of an addiction to large groups as pastors and as churches and part of our discipleship path is it's like, well, hey, if you want to come join our church, um, you have to come Sunday morning. Like that's the starting point. And my brain's been kind of rethinking that in some ways because I've encountered so many people here in this beautiful small town who, who just like that's so such an intimidating part of the process and going, well, what if we start getting creative and uh, doing having a life group that meets Sunday morning? where you can see the service online, and, but you don't actually have to come on Sunday morning. Is that sacrilegious? <laughs> like in some ways it kind of has been, um, you, that has, like there is the value of the big group gathering, but uh, I think we always know we, we need to go small. It's exposed, I think, where our society is at in terms of their value of the church. Uh, we always wondered, uh, and we, we try to be very engaged in our community. We do a ton for our community, for elementary schools in our community. We still are doing a lot of that stuff. But I always wondered, where, where does our community actually see the church? Like, do they value the church? Or, uh, and I think probably this has exposed the reality that actually there's, a, there's way less esteem for the church as a whole than we might have hoped. Um, anything the church i think has become almost uh 
a focal point of what's wrong with our society in terms of responses. And there are some very negative stories out there. Um, but that's one where I just feel like we're going to have to put in twice as much energy and effort uh, because to be able to proclaim the gospel and have that, have the, the platforms to be able to do it takes takes investment into your community to earn the right. And I just wonder now where we're at in that little bit. And finally, some thoughts from Sean Barden. I uh, was thinking quite similar things. I'm so grateful that the pandemic didn't happen 10 years ago when we didn't have the same technological platforms. It's really, yeah, I'm really grateful for the technology that has allowed us to kind of maintain um, some aspects of presence and connectivity with people. Um, but I am also very, very concerned, like, and, and just kind of wrestling with how do we navigate the digital sphere that we are in to utilize it well, but to ensure that it doesn't like inadvertently work against our discipleship ends. And, uh, and yeah, th- th- that I think it will be an ongoing conversation. And, and I think it will take some, yeah, areas where that wrestling between how, where, where do we need to be countercultural and where do we also need to embrace where the culture is at and, 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 and what are the costs of either way to our, 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 our mission and discipleship. And I think, I think that's going to be um, an expedited conversation coming out of COVID than it was before. The, the second thing that I, I, I think of is, is similar to what Dom pointed out. You know, there was lots of frustration in our church that, you know, the gym in town was considered an essential service and we weren't, and not just our town, but in the province. And I was like, I was like, that is an indictment of, of kind of where the churches has been at and, and, and that our province doesn't see what we are doing as essential and critical. And I think um, similarity that, that, that might cause us to ponder and hopefully that w- there'll be some refining that comes out of that where, where we, try to think through how do we change that? So if anything happens again, people are thinking, yeah, of course we need to have this church operating because without them uh, and what the impact they have in our town and in our schools and in our youth and uh, in, you know, our recovery, those in recovery ministries and all that type of stuff. um, I I think we need to, um, yeah, re up our effort to, to show just the significance that we have by engaging in the community. And, you know, the fact that people, you know, people might not be returning, you know, we might lose some people, um, you know, those who maybe were coming out of habit or just kind of religious reasons, or maybe even coming as consumers, uh, our, our congregations might get smaller, but the, there's an opportunity that we might have a more kind of a distilled almost a more mature core um, that might allow us to, to engage in some more missional stuff, uh, some sacrificial missional stuff um, with a little bit more momentum and not having to kind of play to some of those lowest common denominators that sometimes we feel tempted to do. So it, it also comes, you know, a smaller congregation coming out of this um, it is grievous to us for lots of reasons, but it also might come with some uh, unforeseen opportunities for uh, a greater impact. There were a lot of great ideas shared about what we need to recover and what needs to change. And it's exciting to think about, but at the same time, we're all really tired, right? 
and our churches are tired. So we asked our panelists the big question of motivation. How do we motivate our tired selves and our tired people to come back and engage after COVID is done? Yeah, I, when I first read that question, when Jessica sent it to me, my first thought was, um, should we be motivating people to come back? Like, what are we motivating them to come back to? Um, that's that again, going back to the journey we've been on is kind of a key question. Should we be motivating and calling them to something different um, is kind of the way I look at the question. And I think I think basically the way you motivate people, period, is through a compelling vision, through your example and the example of others and through the power of story, um, telling the story of what God is doing. I think you motivate people through those three uh, dimensions, if you will. Um, but we, we, we've kind of asked the question, what do we want to motivate people towards? Or what do we want to, or we're using the word call. What do we want to call people to? And obviously we want to call them to walk with Jesus and have healthy rhythms. But then particularly as a church, what do we want them to be involved in? What are we calling them to? And that goes back to what I was just talking about. But we're going to do that through those three things, a compelling vision, our example, the example of early adopters, and also um, through the power of story. If, if we think church is closed this past year, then I think, yeah, we've, we've missed it. And I want to I wanna acknowledge and resonate the fact of what people are saying. When people are talking about longing to be back together again, I want to honor that and be like, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, we miss being together. We miss the community element. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. But to not equate that with, um, so we can't wait for church to start again, um, because again, if it's, if it's centric around this, this gathering space, uh, then I think, yeah, we've, we've lost sight of what we're supposed to be as the church. So I think very much, this is what we've been trying to do throughout this past year is engage people, excite them, tell the stories of, this is how the church is continuing to, to live and, and be vibrant and operate in every little place where the church is scattered right now. Um, we, we've used that, that model of which in, in Acts as the best thing that ever happened to the church. Um, when, when they all left and got scattered around, that's what's spread the church to the place where you and I know about Jesus right now. Um, and so it was a good thing. And, and, and totally, uh, Sean, as to your point, I, I'm, I share your uh, concern absolutely about the, uh, the dangers of, are, are we saying moving into this disengaged, stuck on a screen kind of mindset? And yet, again, just a quote from the same book, um, Social Media to Social Ministry, she talks about really throughout history, uh, this is kind of the way advancement has happened. Uh, when the printing press came, Pastors were worried that people wouldn't come to the services. They just would read the sermons. Uh, when radio started, uh, pastors were concerned nobody would come out to church anymore because they would just listen to it on the radio. We've watched over the last number of years now church trends about like in-person engagement, our attendance already dropping. Um, like two out of four uh, Sundays a month is starting to be average for people. Um, I don't think that is a good thing, but if that's a reality, I want to do everything I can to to get the message of the gospel and and engage people not just in a information transfer, but in a real like community groups, uh, however however that's working online engagement. So as an example, um, our Wednesday night prayer thing 
uh, which we used to try to hold here, would get maybe maybe two people to come out. Um, and yet, on a weekly basis now, moving that time Zoom call prayer meeting we do each week, we're getting anywhere from uh, 10 to 17 people come out each week, uh, which has been amazing. So it's just kind of the leveraging of the technology in a way that is, as you say, relational, not just uh, let me dump some information on you. I, I think that's essential. That was Steve and Wes sharing their thoughts on what it's going to take to motivate our people. Now let's hear from Sean. Yeah, when we uh, uh, when we we had some outdoor gatherings on Easter, and uh, weather was terrible and it was pouring rain, and anyway, uh, I, I heard often that people were like, "Man, that was so great um, to be shoulder to shoulder, or at least." shoulder to six meters apart or six feet apart shoulder from another person and the sense of being together. And I think, and, and people express that they forgot how much they miss that. And so I, I do think that, that there, there is a hunger for face-to-face interaction and that, you know, that sense of, there's just that sacredness of being with other believers and that sacredness of uniting our voices and praise and that sacredness of, you know, putting our minds and hearts to the same prayer at the same time and all that type of stuff that is great that we probably forget how great it is. So we're, we've been trying to like just facilitate as many opportunities to gather people together. So we've started a, you know, a midweek, a midweek service, a fireside service out in at a property that's out uh, along the river and it's kind of a rural area and kids can run and, we have a like a just a, a sharing time, just kind of you know what's been God been teaching, what's been good, uh, what's been going on in your life to praise the Lord, what's been hard, and I think p- getting people to kind of engage each other on that spiritual level, I think we're going to have to facilitate that because I do really think that our kind of community muscles have atrophied, and it is easier to just stay at home, and and after a while we forget we forget what, what we've lost. It's like, you know, you, you get stuck eating the diet of the same thing over and over again, and you forget how good other food might taste until it's on your tongue again. And so we need to, we need to get the taste on, on uh, people's tongues again. And then I also, I think it's, it's really important to be, to be sharing stories. We've been trying to like on our online service, we've been trying to have people sharing. So it's not just our staff faces on the screen, people sharing stories of what's been going on. And, uh, and we've had some unbelievable breakthroughs in discipleship with a whole bunch of people this year. And we've been trying to get their stories on camera and, and getting them to share their stories because I, I, I do think, you know, uh, the, the church perseveres by the, the blood of the lamb and the testimony of the saints. And I think that there is something when, when we hear somebody else's story about growth that's been happening and, and new desires for Jesus. And uh, it, it stirs up, it stirs me out of my own apathy and it makes me want that as well. And so I, I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to cheerlead, um, cheerlead some of those stories even better than we probably have uh, in the past. And now here's what Don and Jeremy had to say when we asked them this question. I wouldn't say we've ever shut down. Um, so in terms of, I don't feel like there's necessarily coming back in the sense that we've not been doing a lot of ministry. In fact, I've, we've talked lots over the last number of months. It feels like we're working about twice as hard 
getting about half the results. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, that's just the way it's been. Um, but in terms of motivating people, uh, I think I could answer that best by a story that happened pre-COVID where we had a couple who informed me they were leaving our church because they had gone through some a crisis in their life and no one had reached out to them in six weeks. They'd not been in church for six weeks. No one had reached out. Therefore, they were leaving. Uh, now, we didn't even know the crisis. So it's it was a tough, a tough situation. Um, but that was the situation because for six weeks, no one had reached out to them. They they concluded that they were not valued and cared for. And I wonder to myself, what happens in our churches if there are numbers of our people who go over a year with no one reaching out to them? Um, hopefully that's not happening, but I mean, I'm, I'm also realistic. Uh, I suspect it is. Um, and I think that's to me the part that leaves me a little bit concerned. So for me, how do we go about motivating people to come back? It's putting in the effort right now to find ways to connect with our people so that we do care for them and we do value them so that when there is the opportunity to come back, they won't have that thought in my head of, hey, I've gone a year um, and no one cares. I, we have a guy that sits in the balcony of our church. He's been here ever since I've been here. He comes week after week. He comes late, leaves early. I know his first name. Uh, he's never given us contact information. I have no way to contact this fellow. I've prayed for him often because I think, you know what? After a year of being away from church and no one even calling, would I come back? Or would I just conclude, you know what? I guess I wasn't. I guess I never really belonged. That's that's to me the the key in terms of how we're going to motivate people to come back. I think I kind of agree with Don on one bit here um, that I think if 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 the feeling in your church is when are we starting again, then you have a problem already that needs to be addressed. Probably um, if that's the sentiment, then um, you, you probably maybe. Uh, aren't seeing how much people are already disconnected and it's going to be really hard to get them back. Um, and so I think hammering away at the mission of our church has never stopped. Um, even then to Sean's point, here are stories of how God's still working. Um, that kind of like, sure. Great. The world shut down. We don't care. God's called us in our church to a mission to make the gospel compelling, connect people to it and get them on mission for the work God's doing in the world. That's essentially what we're here to do. And the circumstances changed. So who cares? Um, if that's what we're projecting, then I think we have the best chance possible that people will come back or whatever we want to call that. Paul Park shared with us out of his personal experience as he has an extra reason to feel tired right now. But I'll let you hear about it straight from him. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, I, f I feel the same way. Um, compelling vision is absolutely important right now. Um, I know a lot about being tired right now because we have um, eight week old in our house. <laughs> and, um, yeah, thank you. It's, it's just been, uh, you know, if you've been there, you know that it's a journey of being tired. Um, but then we wake up and we do it again because there's something worth it, right? Because our daughter is worth it. And we wake up and we know that this is important and we want to do it. And you know, it gives us energy because of how much we love her. 
And I think that's kind of similar in a church. If we paint a compelling vision of why this is worth it, why God's glory is worth it, why his mission is worth it, why this broken, need, uh, broken world needs the gospel. I think when, once we give it to the people in a way that resonates in their hearts and their minds, I think it wakes them up again, um, uh, motivates them, allows them to uh, come back and, and continue the mission. I think, I think in the last 15 months, um, people started all in different places of, you know, how much do, do you trust or respect the government's decisions on this, Dr. Bonnie Henry, or political leaders, your bosses at, at your work, or even your pastors at church. Um, and then I think in the 15 months, we've all gradually and slowly as a whole world learned that none of these guys are messiahs, right? Not your pastor, not your doctor, not your not Dr. Henry, not um, Adrian Dix or premiers or nobody. I think we, no matter what you believe in as a religion or worldview, we've all come to a place where we thought, okay, people or institutions cannot save. I think there's a huge hunger and a disappointment in leadership in general, so that we, people are asking for good leadership. People are asking for a compelling vision to invest in, in a way that this, this pandemic has hit a reset button on most people's lives. Their hobbies have changed. A lot of activities have suspended. We're waiting to pour our resources into, okay, what's a compelling vision? What can I invest in again? What can I pour out my passion and time and money into again? What's worthwhile? I think people will be naturally thinking those things in the next several months as we begin to come back as a society. And what an opportunity the church has to paint a compelling vision of what peace looks like, what wholeness looks like, what reconciliation looks like what unbrokenness looks like through the power of the gospel. And if we can paint that vision, not only to our church, but to our city and our community, I think, I think people will respond. I, I trust people will respond because I think the Holy Spirit is moving. And finally, let's hear from Gary and Dave. Oh, I, I, I think the easy, the, the easy answer for that is, you know, um, vision leaks in the best of times. Uh, right now, I think we've got gaping holes, vision pouring out everywhere, trying to, trying to get people, uh, you know, engaged online in a very passive kind of medium that we have. Uh, so I, I think what's going to happen going back, this is kind of what I picture in my head. I'm not saying I'm right, but I think at first it's going to be just like a big love fest for most churches. It's just everyone's going to be so happy to see each other that I think we just have to accept the fact that it's going to be kind of a, People are going to be coming with a very myopic view of, I just need to be around people right now. I'm not too interested in serving in an area in the church that's going to pull me from that. And so it could be like a month or two of kind of everyone getting back together and getting the love on and the hugging and all that type of stuff. And then from there, you know, as you're going through that, reminding people of the mission and the vision and, and how how this is like a, we're all here to serve one another. And this whole virus has been called dubbed the one another virus because you're wearing masks and social distancing, not so you catch it, but so you don't give it to someone else. So it's putting others first. And so kind of reminding people of that, but I think we're going to have to let them kind of go through that moment in time where, Hey man, I need this and this is all about me right now and just be okay with that. But then, you know, have an intentional plan in place to start integrating people back in, you know, you get your, like Paul was talking about some of those integral 
programs like uh, kids play so they can they can hear about god at their level and nurseries you know so you're freeing up the moms and the dads and and all that type of stuff but i think it's going to take a little bit of time for people to kind of just make those connections again and well it's connection right i think that's been coming through in this time of just uh people are looking for connection over content there's a you know, a lot of content available online now to great degrees. So how do we as the church provide connection in our forms that we just are kind of going out of our way to like, okay, here's a variety of connection. You want to connect in a kind of a bigger space with a lot of people. Uh, just having something fun, creative outside uh, is a great way to connect. And then smaller connections, you know, if it's a very small group prayer um, I think I think that's uh, connection is is one big thing that came to mind, and also explaining the why. What's the why? Why should I? Like people need to know the reason of of why should I come back, and then kind of working through that. As we finished off each of these virtual events, we asked one last really important question: What has God been teaching you in this past year during COVID? We're going to finish with some of the answers our panelists gave, and I think you'll be really encouraged by what they had to say. We'll start with Gary Firth and Mark Bueller sharing what they've been learning. Really, and I know, I know it sounds very trite or whatever, but that God is in control, and he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's got a plan, and he's going to work through this, and we get to be a part of that plan, which is really exciting. Um, what the, It's going to look different for all of us. There's no right way or wrong way to, to, to do this thing. Um, you know, Steve's doing micro churches for another church that might not work. They might be a micro church already. Um, so, but just exciting to just stay open to the possibilities. And hopefully that'll motivate us all moving forward. Um, but that, yeah, that would be the bottom line. God, God knows what's going on. And we just have to stay in tune to where he's walking, where he's leading, and then just join him there for our context, you know, in our church, local church. I think, I mean, some of it's coming out of a course I'm taking with Fellowship International, but I've been involved in lots of different things, feeding programs and this and that. And I don't disparage those, but most of what I have done has been mark size goals. <laughs> and um, so in this season of my life, I really, maybe that's why when you get older, they're consider, considered wiser because you can't do it all on your own strength. But, um, I would love to focus more on extraordinary prayer and gather a real pray, prayer movement and see what God's vision is for South Vancouver. And now here's what Paul had to say. Um, I, I, so I began the pandemic. So I remember it was a Friday. I was supposed to go to uh, Disney World. Someone in our church um, generously offered as a, a free uh, stay at one of their timeshares in Orlando. So Sarah, my wife and I, and a, a three and a half year old at that time, Nathan, uh, my son, and uh, our father-in-law, we were about to head out to the airport hotel um, because my father-in-law has points. He said, hey, we're staying over at the Richmond Hotel and then we're going to fly out to Orlando and then we're going to have a great trip. So that's my wedding anniversary, spring break. Um, my kids first time going to Disney World. So it was exciting. And then the pandemic hit. Right. So they were all in the news and I'm calling my worship pastor, Jason Oldham. 
and he's going, are you guys going? Cause their trip, their trip to Mexico is about to be canceled. So we're all canceling trips. And then literally the next day, Saturday, I'm supposed to record our very first online service with our staff. Um, and that's when Sarah and I miscarried. Um, we were, we were pregnant with uh, our, our second child at the time. And then we, this was our third miscarriage in a row. So it was devastating. So the first day of COVID lockdown for us was spent in a hospital, a women's hospital in Vancouver. So that was my context. Um, 15 months later, we have a child. We're blessed. We're thankful. But looking back, like just even the emotional stuff, like I talked about this at the last panel, but I'm a very optimistic person by nature. It's hard to put me down, <laughs> even if you wanted to. But it, it, it wears on you, I think the loneliness and the disconnect. And this is why earlier when I said the Delta groups or the community groups or whatever, I mean it because that's the only thing that kept me afloat. Like, of course, my faith in Christ, I don't think I never stopped believing in Jesus, but I think it expressed itself most clearly when I had other brothers and sisters around my life that helped me stay afloat too. And as much as I need to shepherd others, I've recognized the importance of having other people supporting me and supporting our family. Um, this is why I would love every family in our church to have that. Um, what I've gone through personally has really taught me that this is important. It's not just a program. It's not something that I just learned at a conference. Like this really matters. And without it, it's devastating. And I, I don't want to see a family in our church or a person in our church go through life without this. So I, I think it gave me a fresh appreciation for why we do what we do, why we, why we try to have these groups, why we try to have authentic communities. Um, because without it, it, life is so hard. Without Christ, without gospel, without his people. Um, I, I don't want to live that life. <laughs> and I don't want to see our community live that life. So I think it just drives me further and, and it makes me more passionate to do this. So that's really been a learning experience for me. And finally, here are Jeremy and Sean sharing what God has been teaching them through COVID-19 and what keeps them going. I think it's a, I think it's a reminder that uh, this is all his work that, um, the spirit is doing things in moving people um, and in, you know, sanctifying them and developing them. And, and our job is to partner with that. And so I think that's what is being reinforced in my mind through all of this. This is kind of like, okay, you don't have control of all this. Remember that um, because this isn't even yours. Like this, I, you know, God could allow for there never to be gatherings like we ever imagined ever to happen again for the rest of our lifetimes if he wants. Um, it's his work. So, you know, I can, I can actually rest in that. Um, the fact that it's his that I'm partnering in, but then also um, I can be, um, I can be less probably like self-centered as well about the ministry that I do um, because I've got to realize, you know, a person, a person getting invited by someone at our church to check it out online in the fall, getting connected through into a community group because they kind of had more interest, making a decision for Christ in the winter and then signing up to get baptized for Easter has nothing to do with anything I did. So, um, like, who would have thought uh, 13 months ago that that sort of stuff can happen? Like, you know, when we're freaking out about, well, wait, we can't do church. 
Um, it's like, I don't need to worry. Um, I just need to be faithful and obedient, I think. And so I think it's, that's, that's the part I think over this last year, it's really helped me. About two and a half years ago, uh, a lady from our church had, had booked a two hour appointment with me. And that always makes me really nervous when they want two hours. And she shared, uh, she kind of walks in the prophetic and she shared a very in-depth, um, prophetic word that she had for our church and the word was that there was a storm that was coming um, to the church uh, and to our church as well and uh, it was going to be unlike anything that we've ever experienced in our lifetime and that uh, yeah and and some of the things that she shared was, was that we would experience were very very much in line with what's happened in COVID and uh, she gave the word to me specifically that I was to just remain faithful, remain faithful to the call to shepherd, remain faithful to the call to lead the church. And there would be a harvest that was uh, in proportion to the pain that we felt in this storm. And, uh, and I've held on to that through... Um, through COVID, there's been definitely times where I was like, I would rather do anything other than this. I'd rather go stock shelves at Canadian Tire or something. I don't, I don't care. Um, but I, her, her word for me was that there, there is going to be fruit and life that comes out of this. And of course, we have seen some fruit in life. Um, but I am looking forward to, uh, to seeing a, a harvest and, and God responding to the faithfulness of all of us who have who have tried to continue to honor him and tried to continue to lead and shepherd and have like had open hands because we just, we're, we're not quite sure what's going on. And we, we need the spirit's blessing and we need his anointing and we need him to, to bring the fruit. We've been trying to plow and water and cast seeds the best we can. And, and now we're looking to him for the harvest. And so to be honest, that's what keeps holding me like what I'm looking forward to is that I, I think God is going to surprise us with stuff that's, that we're all just going to throw up our hands and be like, only God could do that. And, and I want to be here for that. So that's what keeps me going. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to our episode today. I hope you're encouraged and inspired and maybe even a little bit excited as we look to the future and what great surprises God has in store for his church. We have a list of resources that might be helpful to you as you think through these things for your own context, and you can find those in our show notes. And as I say every week, if you ever need support or resources, remember that our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to serve you. You can find a list of all our resources as well as contact information for our team on our website at www.fedpacific.ca.